Welcome back to the podcast. And last week you would have been hearing Ian as he shares about the, the journey and the invitation. And the more I'm listening to Ian, the more I'm captured by passion, but not just passion, but an encounter with the living God and the Holy Spirit and, and his call for us into uh, the Great Commission to go and make disciples. But it really came out of a, a real real encounter with God and and the work of the Holy Spirit and so encouraging, so encouraging. Uh, Ian, thank you once again as we continue on with the podcast. It's really, really awesome. Um, You you shared with us your journey from America to Africa and the, the, the encounter with God and how he took you and your family into central Mozambique. And you talked about reaching out to the Shona people and um, with Veda, um, life. Tell us about what you learnt in that forming stage in central Mozambique, where God, you landed, you're a family, you're going through all the cross-cultural stuff, you're serving God, and suddenly you discover uh, God's connecting you with people, and there's, there's stuff that's starting to go on. It's like God's teaching you stuff. And tell us about that, that season in central Mozambique and what God was showing you. Okay, yeah. Let's take a, a discipleship bent too since we had that direction because that's really what I was learning. The Lord was shifting me into refining what that calling looked like, like we talked about at the end of the last podcast. And for me it was, Ian, I've, I've taught you how to coach. I've taught you how to lead people in groups um, all these years. I've taught you how to have long-term vision. Um, I've taught you how to lead worship, to write music which would, I would end up doing in the north in the dialect of Yao. Um, but really what, what he was refining me was so that you could make disciples that make disciples. And, when, and that's really what I found in central Mozambique. That's really what my family, it's why we went to Mozambique. But when we were on ground and it happened, we realized, okay, that's what he's fine-tuning. And um, my wife even has a, a saying to this day. She says, we disciple in everything. And so even in her medical field with the ones that she's got from uh, the neighborhood that she's training and from the YOM colleagues we have or whatever she's training, she does. She practically uses the model assist watch leave method to disciple people and to trust what God can do in their abilities. And so that's what we found in central Mozambique and the, the practicals on how we found it was with that young man. So the, the, the big switch for me was that the Lord had me in the Word of God every day, every morning, early in the morning, reading through the Gospels and the Book of Acts over and over, which in your guy in Praxis podcast and other ones similar, I'm finding has been a theme that the Father has been doing with a lot of people, even pastors in the West. And, uh, and during that time, I said, okay, I need to find a person of peace. I realized I need a house of peace, a person of peace, or a town of peace, whichever one it is. And... And, and I, need to, I need to act on that when I see it. And in my natural bit in America, before we left, I was finding people like that. We were seeing healings and miracles and things break out in Walmart and stuff. And so the encounter with a person wasn't the issue. It was, now am I going to formulate that into me sharing and obeying and then allowing them to do that, whether they're saved, quote unquote, or not. And, and that was the big shift. And how it played out, um, I think this story's in there too, but uh, I've got an amazing new one for you up here that will blow your mind. But 
in Central, how this played out was this young man was the son of someone that was working on our base that my kids and my wife had been really kind of discipling. And during that process, we ended up giving her an audio Bible, his mom. And she was married to a Muslim guy that had passed away. And uh, she had a Catholic background. And so she was coming back to Christ slowly by seeing our life and seeing us love on her. And uh, her name was Maria, which was which was awesome. And so we'd tease her every day, like, you know, how's the mother of Jesus doing? And like, just... It was really fun, you know, and she started to really love us. And one day she said, hey, my oldest son is really wrestling with. If I follow Jesus, what does that do for our family dynamic and what's his role? Because the dad's gone and in the Muslim culture and in the African culture, he's the oldest. So he's got to take over the household as far as the responsibility of helping and stuff, but also spiritual belief. And so he was carrying a weight at 18 that he really shouldn't have had on his shoulders. And she said, Hey, like he has questions and I don't think I should answer him. I think you should answer him. And I said, okay. And in that moment, we invited him over for a meal, which I would learn later was such a good move um, amongst, you know, the, the Islamic culture. And I didn't realize at the time, And we had this encounter with him. And in that process of the encounter leading up to it, the Lord had me so much in the Gospels and the book of Acts that when the moment came and this young man said, hey, who do you think is the the final prophet? Do you think it's Jesus or Muhammad? I almost went to that teaching thing of, oh, I'm going to teach this kid, you know, And the Lord said, don't answer that. Ask him a question. Literally as it's coming out of my mouth. And I get this, I get this prophetic vision of Peter saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I'm like, oh, this makes sense. And this happened in like five seconds. But because I have that long term relationship with the father and that history of saying yes, I was able to step into it and know that Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say for I'll give you the words. And as what I started to say was, Hey, let me ask you a question. And I walked him through, you know, Jesus had friends that asked the same type of question. And he's like, really? Like, you know, I'm, I'm a Muhammad believer. And he's like, I said, yeah, but let me, let me tell you what they asked. You know, he asked them, who do the people say that I am? And that's what you're saying. You're saying, who who do you say that Jesus is? And I said, so let me ask you that. Who do you say he is? And this kid in my house goes, well, it's so weird. I want to say it's Christ, but I'm believing I have a Muslim belief. So I don't know why. And I said, well, because this room is surrounded with those that believe in Christ and the Holy Spirit is here. I said, but if I walk you out of this house, watch what happens. And so I walked him out of the house. Everybody's like, what's Ian doing, right? So I walked him out of the porch and I said, who do you say he is now? And the guy's like, well, now I want to say it's Muhammad. And I'm like, yeah, come back in. I've never, I mean, it's just so weird, Dave. It was amazing. Like Holy Spirit just led me. He comes back in and we're all laughing, you know, and, and he's like, what's going on? And I said, you know, 
I said, Vita, you're really just wanting to encounter God. You want to hear him. You want to follow him. You want to obey him. He's like, yeah. I said, you're just, you've just been told all your life you can't. So let's pray and see if you can. He's like, okay. And his little brother was there and coughing and sick, really sick. And I had him pray for him. Instead of us praying, I had him lay hands on him. I said, if you say he's the Christ, pray in Jesus' name over your little brother. Because, because you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't argue with me that Christ is a healer, right? He's like, no, no, yeah, he is. Great. Pray in his name and see what happens. So he did. He prayed over his, like, as if he'd been praying all his life. And, and, and if, uh, um, as he was leaving, he was really grateful. I said, hey, look, I, I, I did the DMM thing without knowing. I said, here's a Bible, because he could read. His mom can't. I hand him a Bible. I said, I want you to read the book of Matthew. And I said, I know this is God because normally I would tell you to read the book of John. And I, I don't know why, but the Holy Spirit's telling me, read the book of Matthew. So in a, you know, when you're done reading the whole book, if you're serious about what you're asking, come back. And, and we'll keep walking together. And he was back less than 48 hours. He came back, had read the whole thing. And he basically asked, what do I need to do to be saved? Like, that's basically what he asked. And then he was like, oh, and by the way, my brother's fine. And I'm like, awesome. So that, that really set me up for, okay, now what do I do next? What would I have done in the past? And what would I do now? And because I had, because I had been pressing into what we all call the DMM of a DBS, and I had already had that, that school where the Lord was teaching me, you know, this school was basically, you read the word of God and ask two questions. What's God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? And so in a bunch of different ways. And so I told him, I said, okay, if you're ready, now what I want you to do is, I, the Bible says I could lay hands on you and you could receive the Holy Spirit right now. He's like, yeah. I said, I don't want to do that. I want you to go back and ask him to fill you like he did in the upper room in Matthew. So I want you to go to your house. I want you to wait. And he did. He went to his house and waited. And he not only, he not only was filled, he had a dream that confirmed it. And uh, the Lord gave me the interpretation. A couple days later, he came back and I said, okay, if we're ready to do this, then we need to meet at your house. Let's meet at your house and start reading through the word. See what God's going to do. And, and I just walked through the DBS process without knowing. And uh, let him, within, within probably a week or two, he had shared, come back. Uh, we had an opening for another house. He was already ready to baptize someone. And so that just set us up for what happened here. And so when the momentum built and we had groups already and people were baptizing, people were baptizing people, the Lord said, you're moving north. And I'm like, what? Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So just really hearing the whole idea of uh, discovery, uh, of groups, of of um, the encounter with God and uh, sharing with others. Awesome stuff. And so, so from there... Uh, and this was this was amongst a, a, a people called the Shona people, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then God calls you north. Um, tell us about the move, and and you land up in the north, and you you suddenly with the Yao Yao people. Um, tell us that story, yeah. So we move up to the north. Um, the, the Lord tends to do stuff like this with me, I think, for my own pride, but also because I think He was working in our kids. And he wanted my boys to have a fresh encounter with him, which they would later. 
um, in our in our transition to YWAM. But it was it was a wonderful transition. We had a few families, just very few, that were able to help us make the transition um, from up here that had been here for years working with the Yao. But it was also very very difficult because we were moving into the village with a people group that could not read or write that kind of shunned schooling and kind of shunned Portuguese. And so we had no language coming in here. It was, we dove in having to grab a general, we call him a GPA teacher, a general participant teacher, four days a week, five days a week, two hours a day, trying to learn the dialect enough to where I could communicate. And I inherited from the missionaries before me, I inherited a couple of people that were working on the property. And luckily, one of them, the gal, spoke Portuguese, which was really rare. And that really saved us for those first little bit. But so the first year or two was settling. It took us 15 months to get water um, put in. A lot of different things like that kept us busy. And I was on Fridays, the Lord would have me prayer walk. He made it very clear. I want you to go out on Fridays and start prayer walking this road. And that's when I began to realize the Lord was setting me up for setting us up as a family for what we had seen was going to happen again. If again, back to that chosen thing, if we would obey and be patient Mm. and, and just do what he wanted us to do to respect the land and the people and build relationship Mm. because this Yao people is a very relational one. And so I started prayer walking on Fridays, um, asking the Lord what he wanted me to pray about. Walking for for kilometers, you know. And in that process, one of our night guards, uh, we found out, spoke Portuguese. And I had a fence that needed to be fixed. So we're probably seven, eight months into the process of trying to figure out how to live here. The road was horrible, like a five-hour beating to go anywhere to get resources. Um, there was one little gas station in town, thankfully. He's a good friend now um, that I was able to get basics. And so we were just kind of surviving, praying, learning how to live together. No furniture in the house. And our fence on that, on, we don't have a fence in the front, but a fence in the backyard needed to be fixed. And so he had a couple of guys from his village six kilometers away that spoke Portuguese. They were Makua. They weren't Yao. And uh, that could come and help. So they were fixing the fence. And you can tell by the last podcast how passionate I am. I don't sit around very easily. Um, I am kind of introverted in certain ways. But when it comes to action, I'm not. And and so I was going out every day trying to minister to these two guys on the fence. Talk to them about Jesus. Because I just needed interaction um, other than body language. And in that process... One of the guys invited me to my guard's village to share the word of God. And I was like, yes, breakthrough, you know. <laughs> but I was having to take my, the, the, the school that we created as a family. You know, my family was part of that whole driving to the village, creating the school in central Mozambique. They were all part of that. So I took that curriculum that we helped with. And it was in Portuguese and English. So I took the Portuguese one and I took my Bible and I was sitting there in the village with you know, two Bibles, the curriculum, and just step by step trying to walk through basically the DBS process 
which now I knew because I had flown to uh, Kenya and been part of the Catalyst Camp one time with this friend Jeff. And so now I knew what God was doing. I just didn't have language. I didn't have, I, I couldn't speak it. And so I, I tiptoed through Portuguese in this Makua village and it started growing and people started sharing obeying. And very early on, two guys that were part of the village came to the camp. They were young and zealous and they spoke a little English because of Peace Corps being in the vicinity for the last 10 years. And I was so grateful. Like the Lord was just like, I've made you wait a year. Now now you're going to be able to at least speak a little bit. And you've got these guys that speak English that can translate Portuguese. And often we were off and running. And within a very short amount of time, we saw that group go go to big numbers, start baptizing people that could baptize people, and then drop significantly. Hmm. Um. And in that drop, we realized that a couple of the original guys that let us in, that were actually, I think, people of peace. Um, but one, one thing that I'm sure the practitioners on here would agree to, I don't hear it on all the podcasts, but not yours, I mean all the podcasts I listen to, is that a person of peace is not always the one that spreads the gospel. Hmm. He's, he, we call him the longo. He's the, door, he's the door opener. He's definitely the place of peace. But the harvest is ripe outside of that guy. And this is a big one, too, that I don't hear all the time, that I've taught and trained our disciples. The person of peace is a person of influence. They're willing to receive from you. And they're willing to share the word of God or at least open it up to people. They don't necessarily continue that sharing. And they don't always necessarily have good influence. Because the demoniac did not have good influence. The woman at the well did not have... I mean, the, you could split it down the middle on who Jesus used as a person of peace. Yeah. And the ones that changed the world and regions a lot of times started with a very bad influence. And I think we need to remember that, that God came to seek and save the lost. And when I caught that, I have trained it into the DNA here. I think I might have heard it from Steve Addison's book way back in the day that the person of influence not always is good influence. And we have seen that over and over. And so these two guys that opened the door for me for, for the last eight or for the last six years have struggled. Like they'll come in, go out, come in, go out and, and just wrestle with being in the cares of this world and not. But the two young guys that came in and spoke English and stuff, they have been pure of heart since then. And the entire group grew because of those two guys. Mm. But the original person of peace wasn't them. And so when the, when the group diminished, I realized that there was an influence of false expectations and things like that. And one of these, one of these young guys' uncles said, will you disciple me? I've heard what you're doing over there. Will you, will you disciple me at my house? So I just went to honor them and plant a different group within the, 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 that village. And that allowed me the opportunity to let one of the two pure guys continue the group I started because model, assist, watch, leave. And so that way we had two things going on. And, and in that process, I found out that this guy's uncle was the chief of the whole village. And so I started discipling the chief of the whole village and very quickly, by the time we got to John chapter 10, 
this chief of a long history uh, came to the Lord. And, and that kind of really opened the eyes of these two guys who had become four, who had then become 12, and that were they were already going out. And so that led to about a two-year process of us probably having about five or six solid groups, mostly mostly Makua, at that point that were back doing DBS properly and purely. And, uh, and then shortly after the, the chief died, those four guys went to a mountain to pray. And I had, I had felt from the Lord I was supposed to exhort them that we needed to start reaching the Yao because my dialect had grown. I was able to speak it. And I knew the Lord was going to have me let those guys run. And I needed to return to my village and start investing in the Yao. And in that process of him dying, they went up and prayed on their, on their own had a bit of an encounter with the Lord and came back, all four of them saying, we basically, they were saying, we have blood on our hands as the Makua and the Yao and we need to go reach the Yao. We need to reconcile and bring back the unity of these of these people groups and we're willing to go and make disciples and make disciples amongst the Yao. And they did. They started doing that and that freed me up and that was probably the three and a half year mark. They had done DTS and YWAM by this point. Um, and then I was off and running in our village. But it took, and at this point we still had not one Yao believer that I knew of within a 20 kilometer radius of me. Wow. So what's happened since then amongst the Yao? So about that four, three and a half, four year mark, um, the two the two people that have been had been working in our house and had been around missionaries before my my daily life Carla's daily life when she would do medical things on our gazebo outside daily and we would be loving on the neighbors our yao our yao dialect was growing we call it chiao and so whenever whenever it, it was two people it was a gal and a guy that worked with us and they had a, a history with some of the other missionaries he Knowing that Christians were here, but not really being presented the gospel uh, in a deep way. And so I just started sharing stories, the parables of Jesus. So when when my buddy Hassan, his name Hassan, when he would have a, a, a question about work or something, I would answer with the life of Jesus. I would literally just tell him something in wisdom that Jesus did. And then same with this gal, Lydia, not her real name, but... I could write an entire book on her life alone. It is amazing what God's done in this woman's life. It is, it's really ridiculous. I, I chose Lydia. You can tell why. Because she's like her. And so um, we literally started telling Jesus stories every day. And we found ourselves around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 11 o'clock, when they were ready to leave work and stuff. We'd find ourselves on our porch for an hour, Carla, me, and them, just talking about Jesus. And they were so intrigued by it. And by this time, we're having, you know, YWAM meetings once a week at my house. So the, the, the three or four guys are coming and we're meeting and they know we're talking about Jesus. And the Lord just dropped in my spirit like, these two are ready to be discipled as far as like receiving the word. They're people of peace. I said, okay, what do I do next? And within a short time, my buddy Hassan has this encounter with the Holy Spirit about one of his 
uh, initiation moments when he was young. Carla talked him through it. And the Holy Spirit just stopped him in our driveway, was on him, and he was ready to just be broken. Like he, he looked at us and realized, I don't know God. I want to, but I, that this Jesus has been protecting me from what my culture had done to me. And now I see it. I see the abuse. I see the darkness. And I said, okay, well, do you want him to heal that? And he's like, yeah, can he do that? So that, that evening we took him out back, laid hands on him, did some inner healing with him, had him confess who he, who thought he was, had the Lord, you know, had him repent, receive the Lord. Um, he came back the next morning, a different dude, like just completely different, like completely changed. No, no one, no one could really understand it. And then within a few weeks, because Lydia had grown up with him since they were kids, she came to us too. And she's like, this change in him is not, this is, this is this Jesus you're talking about. And I said, yeah. And then all of a sudden she'd been having dreams that we would talk about. And the Lord gave me a gift to interpret them. When the Holy Spirit allows me, I'm able to interpret quite well. And so uh, um, she had been doing that for months with us. And one morning that, that happened um, and the interpretation of a dream happened. And I said, do you realize what just happened? And she's like, oh my God. Yeah, she re- and so her lights came on and she goes, I'm ready to be baptized too. And they, Hassan was baptized and then he baptized Lydia. And within a very short amount of time, the church was birthed here in, in our village. And it went out like crazy. And, and in the last 24 months, during that process, you saw it in the book, I even dug a hole in our front yard. Yeah. Like, as a baptismal take, which is so rare here. And, uh, and so we've seen close to a hundred people baptized in there probably, but, um, the goal is to go out. And so in the last 24 months, as I'm figuring this out, I, we are approaching 50 groups within a 70 kilometer radius. And I think we're pushing very close to a thousand baptized believers. We're trying, we're trying to put a, put an, like a, an underline on that being confirmed, but because the groups are growing so fast, I'm not sure when it's gone over that. But the it's this is all Yao, a pure Yao movement. The other Makua guys have have stuff going on as well with the Yao. But I'm talking about what happened with my first two people apiece. And as far as we know, at best count, we're at fourth and fifth generation. I I really have to confirm it, but we're at least at third throughout. And so, um. Our farthest one in the last couple of weeks, our farthest group that was planted was th- is 300 kilometers from here. Um, they're going to follow up this week with that. And our biggest challenge right now is having enough audio Bibles even to, for the facilitators. We're actually, we're running out of, we have groups that are planted that don't have a Bible in the group. Wow. Two or three of them. Awesome. It's amazing. Awesome. And I've... 80% of those have not seen my face. 85% of them have not seen my face. Amazing. This is, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so amazing, Ian. And uh, I realized that the introduction of this podcast, I didn't uh, talk about your uh, book, Ian Christopher and his book, uh, Making Disciples and Leading Others to Make Them. You'll find the link uh, on our, on our podcast page. Ian, it's just fantastic because you probably don't know, but um, numbers of decades ago, we prayed for Yao people. Oh, wow. And here in Australia, and I've, I've been in prayer meetings where we just cried out to God for the Yao people. 
and um, I've been really aware of them, but I haven't actually heard a breakthrough. I, ha- I have heard a lots of missionaries going there, but how how fantastic that is just to hear a breakthrough and and uh, of generational growth and of churches and yeah. Um, so you really that beginning stage of of discipling ones and twos, and now you're um. Now you're uh, overseeing or empowering. Overseeing is probably the wrong word. Empowering a movement. Um, what's what's some of the shifts that you have to go through from trying to lead one person to Christ to saying, "I've got all these leaders and these groups." What are some of the shifts happening in you? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's the right question too because I'm I'm really trying to stay. Um, how would Heidi Baker say? I'm trying to stay low to the ground on this thing as much as I can, and I'm dependent on it because it's easy. It's it's really easy. Um, you see it with Uzziah in the Bible, like he finishes poorly. Like in the New Testament, you you, you can see Ananias and Sapphira. You see the glory of God being being taken or, or being messed with because in our strength we try to kind of oversee it and I think one of the biggest things I'm training them on and that I, I really tried to believe was that you can't control it and you shouldn't yeah and uh, you know Jesus said the wind moves the way it sh- the way that it wants to and we just see the effects and so in that process what the shifts I'm seeing which I've heard on on Prox's podcast too is I say shift but it's it's been a foundation that you got that that it's interesting. It's kind of a dynamic of a foundation and a shift is prayer is the biggest one. And so not that prayer is the shift, but for our groups that we're seeing shifting into corporate prayer is being, is an idea. It's a key. So I went from prayer walking on Fridays, which I still do to teaching people how to hear from God for themselves individually to the Lord in the last five months saying urgently, it is now time for corporate prayer there's been lots of prayer. You know, you just said this for years, 20 years, 30 years for the Yao previous. And, but for the Yao within their own people group to establish an Antioch, to establish a prayer rhythm where they say the Lord has set these two aside for this work. And so in this process, I'm kind of pioneering something. I mean, I say pioneering, but maybe someone's already done this. It's just what the Lord showed me the last couple months. He said, because I was asking him, how do we do it? Like, we, we need to corporately pray, and we've got probably 300 out of the 1,000 ready to do it. And they're hearing from God, they're obeying, but how do we do it corporately so that an eldership is established, so that... Um, anyways, and so what happened was, is this is real quick. If anybody's out there and wants to use this, go for it. I, I find it's working for us. I decided to do four weeks... Model assist, watch, leave. So four steps, four weeks. And I told the whole, I told all the Yao, I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to meet for one hour, one day a week. And I know it's going to go to more days a week, but one day a week in the morning so that the gals in the Yao culture can get their work done too. You know, they're walking miles for firewood, pumping water every day. Like the amount of work they do in a day is ridiculous. I said, they don't need to be lingering like we do in DBS on Sunday and Mondays for two, three, four hours to pray. They can wake up with the dawn, hear what the Lord says, and then go pray that all day. If if the Yah want to change that later, once you've been discipled in it, you need to. This isn't like the word of the white guy. You need to go change that. And they have slowly. 
But for the first four weeks, we'll do it at my house, which was kind of different than the DBS model because I wanted, I told them, I'm learning. Like for years, I've had to be here discipling people. And now this is a new people group that I've never really been a part of except for this last eight years. The Lord's showing me how to operate in culture and humility. I need to be a practice. I need to do it first. And so we'll, we'll be at my gazebo six in the morning on Thursday mornings. And we'll pray. And so I walked through four steps and you can, this is not like a model on prayer. I'm just doing what the Lord showed me over the last 30 years and some of YWAM and, and keeping it simple, right? Because in DBS, we want to keep it as simple as possible. So it's duplicatable and it's multipliable. And, and so what I did was the four steps that I felt the Lord showing me was, um, go from six to 7am at 7am be done and open up with gratefulness, have a heart of gratitude and so we, instead of us, like DBS, sharing what's good in life, you know, our highs and our lows, we're going to pray it. We're going to pray our, our thankfulness to the Lord. Um, and then the second thing is that we're going to pray security. So we're going to ask for the things in our heart. Psalm 139, anything, search me, O Lord, and see if there's anything in me that's going to stop me from hearing you. If there's unforgiveness, if there's uh, something spiritual, if there's things in the environment that we need to kick out in Jesus name, um, just we call it time of security. So we're going to we're going to let the Holy Spirit take over. And then the two the two things we're going to pray is one, Father, what do you want us to know right now about what about family, about marriages, about the movement of the Yao, about what you're doing amongst the village of Chanika, about wh- whatever you feel is a bigger word for that day. Whatever the host of the prayer meeting wants to ask the Lord about. And we're going to stay silent until he talks to us each. Those that he talks to will pray into that word out loud. And anyone else after that that wants to build on that prayer and exhort it can. And then the final step is now we can make our requests known. Now we'll ask him to help us with our prayer request. But the prayer request, unless someone's really, really broken in the group, we have to think bigger. We have to think, you know, something big like we've been, we've, we went through a flood last year that has, has been unprecedented for 20 years. And so people are going to be starving three months early. Can you help us with that, Lord? Like, uh, can, can you talk to us about marriages, whatever? And so that time of us asking him needs to be bigger than ourselves unless the group agrees that this family is suffering. Can we bring them to the throne? Yeah. And so each week will come with a little bit different question. And so I hosted that for four weeks and I said, here's, here's the key on the fourth week. I'm going to ask you guys who's hosting the next four weeks. And that host has to walk through the assist phase with me. So I'll be there, but we're going to do it just like we do discipleship. You're going to try to remember these steps. You're going to ask the Lord and I will help. And then on the fourth week, you're going to ask who's going to host. So we are now at our fourth house, going into our fourth house, our fourth month. And we're pretty close to where I could probably be gone for two weeks out of the month. But because prayer has been so life-changing, the shift, I don't want to. I don't want to miss it. And so the Lord's going to have to, he's going to have to go, Ian, this is one of those weeks I need you to be gone to let them step in. And uh, last week... Two, no, two weeks ago, he forced that issue because we had to go to Malawi for some orthodontist appointments. And one of our guys, one of our elders, 
heard from the Lord, said, I feel like the Lord's telling us that at our next, because they meet on Sunday and Monday for church, 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 air quotes, right? DBS. And um, he said, I want, I want them to go out. I want them to go out on that day and I want them to just hear me and obey. Whether I tell them to walk to China or not. And on Monday, they'll come back for the for ch- church and we'll share testimony. And I was able to be there on the Monday testimony day, Dave. Unprecedented what happened. They, they literally obeyed and went out. Like, and these are people that are sharing the gospel. They're doing, but they went out on a whim to just hear the Holy Spirit. Like one gal, Lydia, she walked 20 miles round trip two days in a row to reach three people. And, and basically planted a new group out there. Wow. Amazing what prayer's doing. That shift has been big. And then the second shift that I'm seeing really, really, really big, and this is, I think a lot of people on here that have been in the field at least a little while, they'll really uh, be grateful I said this, hopefully, if we all have our, our pride guard down. The other shift is delegating leadership and 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 correction and eldership things in the church quickly to those that have actually obeyed and listened and that are operating already as elders in the church. Wow. Um, so for instance, an example of that is uh, the initiation process here allows, uh, sorry if this sounds kind of uh, raw, allows for young adults here to be sleeping with each other early in an Islamic culture that's supposed to honor marriage when they get older. And so you have this dichotomy where kids are getting pregnant, all that kind of stuff early, because the very initial, the animistic initiation process goes against the Quran and everything else. And so we've been fighting that for years. And so we've seen many, many marriages healed. One of the unprecedented shifts I'm seeing is that when we do our DBS groups, I don't separate men and women. They may sit in different groups, but they both hear, they both, they both attend, they both answer questions. When they're baptized, the husband and wife both know about it. They both make decisions. The wife is not being baptized because the husband's being baptized. And that has caused marriages to be healed here at a crazy rate, which is really rare for the Yao. And in that process of healing, the younger generation is seeing these marriages healed and they're wanting that, but they don't have a ceremony. They don't have a biblical in the eyes of God marriage. So they're still only operating out of the old initiation, I like a girl, so I, I go to her house and we're married. And so it's not operating well. So one of those prayer meetings, we asked the Lord. And one of the ladies got a download specifically on how to walk through marriage and how to be in the church, how to operate. And so when I got the opportunity with two of the guys I've discipled that are young, that have, have been pure for a couple years, but now they're wanting to get married, I caught them in some things that, you know, we have two words here. We have Zambi, which is sin, and we have Ulemwa, which is fault. That can be out of ignorance, but it's still a fault in the Word of God. And so one's ignorant and one's, right, intentional. And so there's a lot of Ulemwa. There's a lot of fault and ignorance happening. And I said, okay, instead of me hammering them on what biblical marriage is and maybe breaking that relationship, I realized what God was doing in the moment through prayer and I took him over to Lydia's house. I sat him down with the wife and with another elder and I said, here's where they're at. Here's what we heard in the church. He was there that morning when he heard it. 
Now you guys need to walk this out as a church. You either need to obey the Lord in this process or not. Because at this point, if I go any further with him in discipleship, he's going to doubt my love for him. And I don't doubt that he loves Jesus. I doubt that he knows what to do in marriage. And if we will take this step, hundreds of Yao teenagers will, will fulfill the completion of that marriage healing. But if we don't, this church is going to have hundreds of headaches in the next few months because of how quick this is growing. And I pulled away and they did it. They completely did it. Like, Mm. And we're still walking through. So that's live. I mean, this is raw. This is an open wound happening right now. And so the shift is prayer and delegation of eldership quickly. And letting the local leaders walk it out. Yeah. Fantastic and really, um, really exciting to see. I'm really going to be checking in with you, Ian, and just saying, share with us some more of what God's teaching you over the year and the years to come um, because it's really exciting to see what's happening. Uh, Ian, our, our time is up and uh, we need to honor that, but would you finish again with a with a encouragement to those who are listening about uh, finding the people of peace and seeing groups starting and multiplying? And, uh, yeah, as we hear the seeds popping on that tin roof, <laughs> that's uh, so every, prophetic. Hey, may may the, the same kind of seed explosion happening uh, all around us. Um, yeah, why don't you finish with a word of encouragement or prayer and uh, just um, that we can take with us. Amen. Amen. I know that's loud. And... Uh, I just, yeah, I I prophetically say out loud, I just declare, Lord Jesus, that that sound will so reverberate in our hearts that when the seed throws and hits soil one instead of soil four, that we will have the courage and that we will have the wherewithal, we'll have the obedience, we'll have the love for our neighbor enough to walk them through all the soils. And if that happens quickly, then so be it, Father. But if it means that we have to walk through their wounds and walk through the patience and the love that you showed for three years with those disciples so that multiplication happened, we say yes. And I just, I, I see in my heart of hearts those people in distant lands, I don't even know what countries they're in, they've been asking you, Father, is this possible? And Lord, it is possible. You said greater works than these you'll do. You said if you'll just tarry for the gift of heaven, he'll come. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would meet with people listening right now in this podcast, that you would give them your unique divine revelation. Speak to them in the ways that you know you need to speak to them, that they will hear and obey. And I just, in this season, for disciple makers that want to make disciples, for for people with Matthew 28 hearts, Lord God, I just declare a loving obedience, a courage to say yes and to release, to release the local neighbors and to find ways, Lord Jesus, for you to empower us to send them out even on ground and to trust that they're going to see the things that you want them to see and to do the things that you want them to do. Father, I pray for them right now that their prayer would be, Father, let us do the work that you're doing today. Let us say the things that you're saying today. And Father, I pray that you would bring your 
resistance against the enemy in this. That for those that are sitting there and and so close to breakthrough, I pray, Father, you would encourage their hearts and that you would bring resistance against the enemy in the areas that only you can and push back the gates of hell in the name of Jesus. Let multiplication come the way you see it. Oh, Lord God, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen. Amen.